The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now, on that same day when Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, two disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and debating, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you debating with each other while you're walking along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and, and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how Jesus had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Sisters and brothers, Jesus is the friend of sinners. Whatever else you walk away with this morning, take that home. If you tune out for the rest of the morning, keep that in your mind. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Take it with you because it's awfully good news. And it's just the ticket, I think, for groups of Christians like us puzzling our way into God's future. Jesus is the friend of sinners. That is why Cleopas and his debating partner didn't recognize him on the road to Emmaus, at least partly why. Their eyes were kept closed by their own presuppositions. They, of course, knew their Bible. They knew Moses, the prophets, at least they thought they did. Luke portrays them walking along in energetic, heated debate, rehashing the events of the last three days. They had been so sure that Jesus was their guy, the guy to liberate Israel, a muscular Messiah who'd kick some Roman butt and restore Israel to independence, maybe even greatness. And all he'd done is get himself killed. All he'd done is get himself killed, executed like a common criminal between two thieves. A stranger joins them, and without their even knowing it, renews God's work of transformation in their lives by asking a question. It's a simple question, but it stuns them. It stops them in their track. What's all the fuss about, he says. What's all the fuss about? The power of the right question, asked by the right person at the right moment. The stranger asks, and Cleopas and his friend pour out the whole story of their faulty assumptions about the cross, leaving us what must rank, at least I think, among the saddest sentences in the whole Bible. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one. All right. There's something going on here that we have to take note of. Did you observe what it was that prompted Jesus' question? What's all the fuss about? What prompted it? An argument. An argument. These two guys were engaged in conflict in what seems to me to be pretty healthy conflict. You can tell the conflict was healthy because it didn't pull them apart. In fact, it was part of the glue that kept them walking together. 
You know, a lot of times we are afraid of conflict, especially in churches. And it seems to me that Lutheran churches in particular are often populated by folks who have some distant connection either to Scandinavian heritage or to the Midwest, and that makes us congenitally nice, <laughs> right? And a lot of us think that, therefore, conflict is something to be avoided, especially in churches. But you know, I think it's just the opposite. I think that the absence of conflict in a congregation points to a measure of unhealth. Healthy conflict only happens in a congregation when we are connected with each other. And healthy conflict only happens when we have something worthwhile to argue about. Right? So I take good conflict in a church as a sign that the congregation is both connected to one another and that the folks in the congregation actually care about what's going on, about stuff that's important. Somebody once told me early in my ministry that arguing in church is a sin. And she was afraid of that. She didn't like to go to any church meetings because there would be debate. I, I loved that person, but I don't agree with her. An argument is not sinful in and of itself. A good argument is often the best tool sinners have to arrive at good questions. Jesus made good use of a simple question. He used it to smoke out the presupposition that blinded Cleopas and his companion, the, the, the notion that any Messiah worthy of the name had to be a conqueror, going from one victory to the next. That's what kept them from seeing God hanging on the cross, swallowing up death, by joining us in it. So instead of running away from their argument, Jesus ramps it up. He asks them another question, this time a rhetorical one. Was it not necessary? Was it not a part of God's dream that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, and the prophets, Jesus took the scriptures, blessed them, and broke them open like a loaf of bread, and gave the scriptures back to them with the key that unlocks the heart of God's word and every human heart, even those slow to believe. And the key is the good word of the cross, the news that Jesus crucified and risen is still the friend of sinners. And then Jesus does who he is. All right, are you ready? I have to tell you about Luke and his meals. St. Luke. St. Luke tells six stories about meals in his gospel. Six stories to show us how Jesus does who he is. 
And at every one of those meals, it's just like the prophet Isaiah said, Jesus is numbered among the transgressors. The first one was a big banquet given for Jesus by Levi, the smarmy tax collector, and every disreputable outcast in town showed up. And Jesus sat at table with them. Then, meals two, three, and four were all hosted by Pharisees who invited Jesus to dinner precisely so that they could find a way to trap him. He knew it, and he showed up anyway and sat at table with them. Meal five is the Last Supper, the one where Jesus looks around the table and says, one of you will betray me. And the disciples all look at each other precisely because, deep in their hearts, each one of them knew he was capable of it. Yet Jesus hosted the meal for them. At every one of these meals, Jesus does who he is. He chooses to be numbered among the transgressors. He shows himself to be the friend of sinners every time he breaks bread. And guess what? There were arguments at every one of those meals. There were arguments at every one of them. Every one of these meals gave rise to good arguments and good questions. And so Luke gathers up all of his meal stories and he pours them into this beautiful climactic scene at the end of Luke's Gospel. And we are meant to pour this scene into all our meals. Into this meal we share around this table, but also into every other meal. How many of you maintain the custom of Sunday dinner? Huh? Huh? How Come on. How many of you maintain the custom of Sunday dinner? It's hard now, isn't it, to do that? It's a lot harder. But I still love to pull out an eye of the round roast. I make excellent gravy. And even though now it's just my wife and I at home, we'll invite a couple over from church or some folks who just started coming to church or whatever, and I'll make that eye of the round roast, and we'll sit down and have Sunday dinner together, and we'll play Scotland Yard and Pinochle, and we will have good conversation. Sometimes that even gets us debating something that's important. And never once, at our table anyway, have I experienced that a good table, a good argument at table, pushed us away from one another. Just the opposite. Our friendship, our connection deepened as around the table we dared to speak to one another. This meal, sisters and brothers, this sacrament of fellowship with the crucified and risen Christ, the one who comes to feed us with his very body and blood, this meal is not an end in and of itself. It's not an end in and of itself. This 
meal, we share it precisely so that we can take this meal and pour it into all our others at McDonald's, around the table with ginger salmon and tofu. Yummy. We are to take, Jesus comes to us here and both outs us as sinners simply by eating with us. He outs us as sinners and at the same time promises that that doesn't scare him away. In fact, he wants to be with us precisely because of our brokenness in order to share it with us. We are to take that good news out into all our other meals. And friends, good friends, true friends, argue about stuff that matters. So I double dog dare you to do something. Are you ready? Are you ready? I double dog dare you to pick someone in the congregation or someone in your circle of friendship and invite that person out for coffee or for lunch. And, you know, do the usual stuff, right? Like, gosh, the Red Sox stink. <laughs> but before you leave the table, be sure to argue about something. Be sure to argue about something important. Whatever is important to you. Don't allow the opportunity at the table to slip away from you. Because I promise you, the Christ who is truly present in this meal is also truly present in that one too. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.